Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Former President Trump's lawyer confirms that the FBI seized documents from Trump's home. Republicans are calling it a dangerous precedent, while Democrats say the search was warranted. Almost 90,000 new IRS agents would be hired if the Inflation Reduction Act is made law. Democrats say they'll focus on the rich, but Republicans say they'll target the middle class. The CIA and other intelligence agencies are shifting their focus to China. Many lawmakers and former officials say it's long overdue. And Ukraine finally resumed exporting corn this month amid fears of food shortages around the world, only for the first ship to be turned away. The buyer in Lebanon is refusing the delivery. Lawmakers are responding to an FBI search of former President Trump's Florida Mar-a-Lago home. Trump's lawyer confirmed that the FBI seized documents from the resort yesterday. Entity's Jessica Beatty has more. Trump Monday posted on Truth Social, these are dark times for our nation. After working and cooperating with irrelevant government agencies, this unannounced raid on my home was not necessary or appropriate. Trump's son, Eric Trump, told Fox News the raid was about documents. And the purpose of the raid, from what they said, was because the National Archives wanted to, you know, cooperate uh, whether or not Donald Trump had any documents in his possession. The National Archives in February notified Congress that it had recovered some White House documents from Trump's Florida home. A House panel at the time asked the archives to turn over more information. Trump previously confirmed that he had agreed to return certain records to the archives, calling it an ordinary and routine process. Trump's lawyer, Christina Bob confirmed with CNN Monday night that the FBI did seize additional documents during their search. We reached out to the DOJ for comment, but didn't immediately hear back. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told MSNBC Tuesday, To have a, a, a visit like that, you need a warrant. To have a warrant, you need justification. And uh, that says that no one is above the law, not even a president or... Others pointed out that FBI Director Christopher Wray was appointed by Trump. Meanwhile, former Secretary of State under Trump, Mike Pompeo, tweeted, The apparent political weaponization of DOJ FBI is shameful. Attorney General must explain why 250 years of practice was upended with this raid. I served on Benghazi.com where we proved Hillary possessed classified info. We didn't raid her home. Trump supporters gathered outside Mar-a-Lago Monday night to demonstrate. Alex Gonzalez fled communism in Cuba. In my opinion, this is communism. Right here, you can see where I'm from. I live this. I know what this is all about. Weaponized DOJ, weaponized FBI, weaponized the IRS. That's what they've been doing. House Republican leaders have pledged to investigate the DOJ if Republicans take back the House in the midterms. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. And former Democratic governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, responded to the FBI raid on Trump's home. He wrote on Twitter, the DOJ must immediately explain the reason for its raid, and it must be more than a search for inconsequential archives, or it will be viewed as a political tactic and undermine any future credible investigation and legitimacy of January 6th investigations. And now we take a deeper look at the FBI's raid on former President Trump's home in Florida. Our next guest is an author and investigative journalist who followed the Trump-Russia probe closely. He analyzes what both political sides are saying is the reason for the raid and brings context around the lead-up to it. 
Here to discuss the FBI raid on former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort is Lee Smith, who is the author of The Plot Against the President. Good to have you on, Lee. Hey, thanks very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Is this common procedure for the FBI to execute a search yeah. warrant to see if any documents were left behind after the National Archives recovered White House records from there in recent months? No, certainly not with the former president of the United States. This is, um, this is, I, I wouldn't say it's set a precedent or has uh, a broken precedent. I mean, it's, it's pushed us into very dangerous uh, new territory here in the United States where, I, I mean, look, I mean, we have to face facts. It's, it's, it's third world uh, security regime stuff. When you go after your political opponents and you use the national police force to target your political opponents, and we've seen this going on, whether it was Rudolph Giuliani, whether it was James O'Keefe, whether it was Roger Stone, whether it was Steve Bannon, uh, Peter Navarro, a whole bunch of different Trump aides. And I, I think the thing that's surprising to many people is the fact that they would go uh, go after the former president himself. I think, given this string that we've just identified, it shouldn't be a surprise that they would eventually turn on Donald Trump himself. And so that's where we are. Again, as I say, dangerous new territory for um, the world's oldest democracy. What should the American public be looking for in terms of what the warrant and the warrant application say? Uh, I think that the the explanation we've heard is that the warrant is to look for material uh, that the former president may have taken with him to Mar-a-Lago from the White House, and that it may be classified. Frankly, I, I think that's um, I think that's misdirection. I think what it is, it's a, it's a fishing expedition. They're looking for different documents to tie him to January 6th. This is the big play right now, right? If we look at the um, the Robert Mueller special. Uh, special counsel investigation of Donald Trump. They wanted to hang an obstruction charge on him. They wanted to put him in handcuffs right then, right? They weren't able to do it, partly because uh, because William Barr came in as attorney general. The obstruction charges is what they're putting away many of the January 6th defendants on. They're charging many of them with obstruction of an official proceeding. I believe that's what they want to do to Donald Trump. They want to hang an obstruction charge on him. So again, I think it's a fishing expedition to look for documents that they can say are related to whatever they want to charge him with on January 6th. And Lee, you mentioned January 6th. Trump's attorney, Christina Bob, said the FBI seized paper. What do you think she's referring to? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think she's referring to different documents. Um, you know, this has been reported that, that uh, Donald Trump took different documents with him from the White House to Mar-a-Lago. But it's important to keep a few things in mind. The first thing is that the president uh, is the ultimate declassification authority. We don't know if these documents that they're saying um, are classified, if Donald Trump may have declassified them while he was still in office. The thing is, there's, there's a, a, a skiff uh, at Mar-a-Lago, which would allow them to, you know, uh, house classified information. So again, as I say, I think the uh, classified information um, stuff, I think it's very flimsy. flimsy. I think it's the pretext for a fishing expedition to get January 6th material. Trump says this is an effort by Democrats to upset Republican efforts in the midterms. What's your reaction to this? Well, I think that's part of it. I mean, the, the other part of it is it's, you know, it's a, it's a continuation of a campaign of desecration um, uh, and demoralization targeting the American people. Donald Trump won 75 million votes, right? There's plenty, uh, 
there's plenty of evidence that Donald Trump won the 2020 election, given all the irregularities, given all the other things that happened. And this, this comes as, as a cap to six, uh, five years of a presidency, starting actually in 2015, when they started the Russiagate garbage, went from Russiagate to Kavanaugh, to impeachment, to uh, COVID-19 lockdowns, to George Floyd riots, to the election, to January 6th itself. What we're talking about is a long campaign of desecration and demoralization targeting the American people. And thank you for bringing a lot of context to this. Lee Smith, the author of The Plot Against the President, good to have you on today. Thank you so much for the invitation. Former President Donald Trump says the best is yet to come. That's his message in a new campaign-style video posted on his website, Truth Social, this morning. The post comes just hours after the FBI executed a search at his home in Mar-a-Lago. Searching the home of a former president is very rare. Trump says he's being unfairly persecuted. We're a nation that has weaponized its law enforcement against the opposing political party like never before. We've never seen anything like this. We are a nation that no longer has a free and fair press. Fake news is about all you get. We are a nation where free speech is no longer allowed. The White House says President Joe Biden was unaware of the search of Mar-a-Lago until after it was reported on the news. Almost 90,000 new IRS agents. Would they enforce tax code on the rich or target middle-income Americans? Democrats and Republicans have different takes on that. Here's more. On Sunday, Senate Democrats passed the spending bill called the Inflation Reduction Act. No Republicans voted for it, and Vice President Harris had the tie-breaking vote. Among other things, the bill includes funding to hire 87,000 new Internal Revenue Service, or IRS, agents. Democrats point to a May report which shows that IRS audits have dropped over the past decade, including audits for the wealthy. The IRS commissioner says the new funding wouldn't increase audits for households that earn less than $400,000 per year. But Republicans say the IRS will target middle-class Americans with the new agents. Texas Senator Ted Cruz said in a statement, 87,000 new IRS agents to target Americans with 1.2 million new audits, more than half of which would be for people making less than $75,000 a year. And on Monday, the White House denied the allegations made by Republicans. In 2013, conservative groups accused the IRS of targeting organizations with words such as Tea Party or Patriots when filing for tax-exempt status. The IRS later offered an apology, saying it was wrong to screen the group's applications based on their names or policy positions. Some Republicans compared the additional IRS agents to the FBI raid at Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis called the raid a weaponization of federal agencies against the regime's political opponents, while people like Hunter Biden get treated with kid gloves. Now the regime is getting another 87,000 IRS agents to wield against its adversaries? The FBI entered Trump's resort on Monday because he allegedly moved official presidential records from the White House to his Florida resort. And now we bring you an update on the thousands of Afghan refugees who were evacuated to America after the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. A whistleblower claims that hundreds of them are on an official watch list, which includes known or suspected terrorists. And today's Jason Perry has the story. 
A whistleblower has now... Senator Josh Hawley says a Department of Defense whistleblower has claimed that 324 of the Afghan evacuees are on the biometric-enabled watch list, which includes known and suspected terrorists. The whistleblower also alleges that the White House and DOD officials instructed personnel to not conduct full fingerprint checks on the evacuees to speed up the process. Hawley questioned FBI Director Christopher Wray on this very issue. Here's Ray's response. This was a massive number of people to be vetting in an extraordinarily short period of time, and that, um, that, uh, in my view, uh, inevitably raises concerns. Oh, I, I think you're absolutely yeah. right about that. Inevitably you, raises Senator. concerns, I think, is the, is the nicest thing that could be said about it. In fact, Thank you, we know that the, the basic procedures were not followed. We know that the screening process was not followed, and now we know that potentially hundreds of people connected to terrorism are loose in this country as a result. I spoke with retired intelligence officer and the author of Operation Dark Heart, Tony Schaefer, about the threat Americans face. One of the things we've learned for a long time dealing with these this sort of threat is people can go underground and be underground a long time. He also explained that all of the individuals could have been vetted properly if the U.S. kept Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. We never fully left uh, South Korea. South Korea became a democracy because of our investment in that nation. We never left Germany. We still have bases in Germany. Uh, I think the same was planned for Bagram. We should have always maintained some level of military presence to both conduct special operations and intelligence gathering. And in this case, it could have served to be a very effective screening location for refugees who wanted to come to the United States as part of our withdrawal. We reached out to the Department of Defense for comment, but we didn't hear back before airtime. Jason Perry, NTD News. A year after the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and a week after the drone strike that killed the leader of al-Qaeda, the CIA says it's shifting its focus and resources to China. Here are the details. In a recent closed-door meeting with leaders of the agency's counterterrorism center, CIA Deputy Director David Cohen made clear that fighting al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups would remain a priority, but that the agency's money and resources would be increasingly shifted to focusing on China. He says the agency's top priority is trying to understand and counter the Chinese regime. U.S. intelligence agencies are moving hundreds of officers to China-focused positions, including some who were previously working on terrorism. The CIA last year announced it would create two new mission centers, one on China, one on emerging technologies. The centers would centralize and improve intelligence collection on those issues. The CIA is also trying to recruit more Chinese speakers and reduce wait times on security clearances to hire new people faster. Many former intelligence officers and lawmakers from both parties say it's overdue. Democratic Congressman Jason Crow said, quote, a far greater existential threat is Russia and China adding that terrorist groups, quote, will not destroy the American way of life the way China can. In particular, lawmakers say they want more information about China's development in advanced technologies. Congressional committees are trying to better track how intelligence agencies spend their funding on China. They are seeking more detail about how specific programs contribute to that mission. Republican Congressman Chris Stewart said, quote, we are late, but it's good that we're finally changing our focus into that region. Coming up, staffing shortages are hitting police departments across the nation. With fewer officers, many cities are being forced to make tough decisions. Find out more in just a minute here on NTD News.
Police departments nationwide are suffering from staffing shortages, and so with less officers, many cities are forced to give up policing certain crimes altogether. Here are the details. In cities across the U.S., violent crime is increasing. But at the same time, there's fewer police officers to go around. As officers are worn out by the pandemic and calls to defund the police, they're quitting or retiring early. Police departments are scrambling to recruit. We, like many cities in the country, do have staffing challenges. Um, currently, we have about 770 officers, and we're authorized 882. So we're down about 100 officers at the time. Portland logged 89 homicides last year, roughly three times its historical average, and has tallied more than 50 homicides to date this year. There were also nearly 800 shootings this year. Staffing shortages are forcing police departments to make tough decisions. So right now, because of the, the spike in violent crime, we're only able to investigate murders. Um, we'll routine, routinely respond to shootings, um, but if the person is going to survive, we are not going to follow up on that. And this isn't just happening in Oregon. In Los Angeles, the police force is down by more than 650 officers from pre-pandemic levels. The Los Angeles Police Department closed its animal cruelty unit and downsized its human trafficking, narcotics and gun details. The number of our specialized units uh, have been either disbanded or significantly downsized uh, as a result of the reduction in our workforce. Areas that have been uh, disbanded include our HOPE teams. These are homeless outreach uh, efforts that were occurred in each of the four geographic bureaus. And in Philadelphia, it's a similar situation. Officers are being um, called to different areas where there are more dangerous crimes and they're really being taken off of the job of being able to respond to ticketing and towing vehicles. The Philadelphia Police Department is down by 550 officers from pre-pandemic levels and another 860 are on medical leave or restricted duty. Gabby Petito's family plans to file a wrongful death lawsuit. The family alleges police failed to recognize their daughter was in a life-threatening situation. Police witnessed a fight between Petito and her boyfriend while the couple was on a cross-country van trip. Weeks later, her boyfriend killed her. In a notice to Utah officials, the family alleges that police in the tourist town of Moab, Utah, missed signs that Petito was the victim of domestic violence during the August 12, 2021 investigation. The officers ultimately allowed the couple to leave after requiring them to spend a night apart. Police body cam video shows Petito visibly upset. The family's claim says the lawsuit will seek $50 million in damages. A Moab City government spokesperson declined to comment. A search is underway for a 16-year-old girl who vanished on her way home from a party in California. Police suspect she was kidnapped. The sheriff's office released a video from her mother urging anyone with information to come forward. If you have any ideas or, or thoughts, please, um, please come forward and share them. And, and we're not looking to like bust anybody else or get anybody in trouble. We just want to see our daughter home. Kylie Rodney has been missing since early Saturday. She was last seen driving her Honda CRV away from an end of high school party at the Prosser family campground in Truckee, California. Another bus of illegal immigrants arrived in the Big Apple on Sunday, and the mayor's asking the federal government for help. Here are the details. 
On Monday, New York City Mayor Eric Adams criticized Texas Governor Greg Abbott for what he calls the mean and cruel treatment of illegal immigrants. That's after the second bus with immigrants from Texas arrived in Manhattan. Adams claims that some on the buses didn't know where they were going. There were some who wanted to go to other uh, cities where they have families, and they just packed them on a bus without any direction. And we learned that many people had to be reticketed. Governor Abbott previously denied those claims. The first bus from Texas arrived in the Big Apple on Friday. In response, Abbott issued a statement saying that New York City is the perfect place for illegal immigrants because of the abundance of social services. He said, as one of the few cities in America with right to housing laws, New York City is required to provide emergency shelter for every unhoused person. On Monday, Adams said the city needs more resources to live up to that mandate. We have a call set up uh, with the White House. Uh, they want to help. They made it clear they want to give us the assistance that we need. Abbott is expected to send more buses from Texas to New York City. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. U.S. border officials will stop enforcing the Trump-era Remain in Mexico policy that follows a court order. The policy, officially known as the Migrant Protection Protocols, required non-Mexican asylum seekers at the southern border to wait in Mexico for processing. Previously, the Biden administration wanted to end the protocol. Last year, a judge issued a block which prevented the Biden administration from doing that. But in June, the Supreme Court ruled that the Biden administration has the authority to end that policy. As a result, the judge lifted his block on Monday. The program was designed to crack down on the practice where individuals would make fraudulent asylum claims knowing they would be released into the U.S. Homeland Security says that several thousand asylum seekers waiting in Mexico will gradually be allowed to enter the U.S. to pursue their claims in the coming weeks and months. A tribal community is calling attention to a wildfire burning in a remote area just south of the Oregon border. They say it appears to have caused the deaths of tens of thousands of fish in the Klamath River. The Karuk tribe said in a statement that dead fish of various species were found near Happy Camp, California, along the main stem of the Klamath River. Biologists believe a flash flood caused by heavy rains over the burn area caused a massive debris flow that entered the river. Then river oxygen levels dropped to zero. A photo taken about 20 miles downstream from the flash flood shows several dozen dead fish belly up, plus sticks and other debris in thick brown water. The full extent of the damage is still unclear, but the tribe says it isn't impacting the entire river. The McKinney Fire has burned more than 90 square miles in the Klamath National Forest. It's killed four people and wiped out a scenic hamlet where about 200 people lived. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, Taiwan's top diplomat worries China may launch a war against Taiwan as the Chinese military extends their drills and encircles the island. But he says Beijing's threats ultimately only show Taiwan's resilience. And more than 80,000 tourists are stranded in China's Hainan province. The island is now under strict lockdown following the recent COVID-19 outbreak. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. Welcome back. 
Taiwan's top diplomat says he worries that China may launch a war against Taiwan. That's as the Chinese military announces new updates on drills it's holding in the ocean around the island. Here's more. The Chinese military announced Monday it will extend drills around Taiwan. The drill started last week following House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's landmark visit to the island. Ladies and gentlemen, the president and the speaker have arrived. Taiwan says it has detected 13 Chinese warships in waters off its coast. The island's foreign minister explains his concerns. I worry that China may really launch a war against Taiwan. But what it is doing right now is trying to scare us. And the best way to deal with it, to show to China that we are not scared. Beijing's drill covers multiple zones around Taiwan, effectively encircling the island. What's more, the Chinese military has crossed the median line during the drill. That's the unofficial divide between mainland China and Taiwan. Here's some background on China's relationship with Taiwan. Taiwan's current government used to rule mainland China, but fled to Taiwan during a civil war. Even so, Beijing still sees Taiwan as part of mainland Chinese territory. It has also threatened to take the island by force. That's despite Taiwan never having been ruled by the Chinese Communist Party. Back to the drill, some have raised concerns that Speaker Pelosi's visit triggered the strong reaction from Beijing. Here's Foreign Minister Joseph Wu's take. China has always been threatening Taiwan for years, and it's getting more serious in the last few years. And it's always been uh, that way. Uh, whether Speaker Pelosi visit Taiwan or not, the Chinese military threat against Taiwan has always been there. And that is the fact that we need to deal with. Asked if Taiwan's democratic system has ever been in more danger than it is today, I can tell you that uh, Taiwan is more resilient than before. Look at Taiwan these days. You know, China is trying to impose uh, trade sanctions against Taiwan, trying to attack Taiwan from military or non-military aspect. The life goes on here in Taiwan. And Taiwan shows its resilience. Wu previously rallied for international support. He said if Taiwan comes under a Chinese invasion, he hopes fellow democracies would rally around Taiwan and deter the Chinese regime. Tensions with China are escalating after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. Now, the island's top microchip manufacturer says its factory will be non-operable in the case of a Chinese invasion. NTD's Chenny Wu has the details. The world's leading semiconductor manufacturer, TSMC, warns it would shut down if China invades Taiwan. America depends on this one Taiwanese company for the most cutting-edge microchips. Nobody can control TSMC by force. Uh, if you take a military force or invasion, you will render TSMC factory non-operable because this is such a sophisticated uh, manufacturing facilities. Liu explained that chip manufacturing is not an isolated operation and relies on global supply chains. So if you take it, out, take it over by force, you can no longer make it operable. 
TSMC is one of the world's most important chip makers. It makes most of the globe's most cutting-edge chips, which function as the brains for smartphones, computers, and even fighter jets. Without chips, our modern life wouldn't be possible. U.S. chip giants like NVIDIA and Qualcomm depend on TSMC for chip production. Apple also goes to TSMC for iPhone chips. Our dependence on TSMC um, is is great, and the vulnerability of them to China is great as well. Senator Cotton said the semiconductor issue highlights America's responsibility to Taiwan. And this is one reason why Taiwan is not just a strategic and a moral question for the American people, but also vital to make sure that we don't allow the Chinese Communist Party to seize control of the world's most important chip manufacturer. The U.S. has been trying to reduce its reliance on Taiwan for chip manufacturing. The motion is adopted. Congress passed a massive bill aiming to boost domestic chip production. While the U.S. and Japan are also in talks about helping American firms boost chip production in Japan. Chen Wu, NTD News. The chair of the world's second largest microchip maker is donating $100 million to the Taiwan government in light of Beijing's massive military drills around the island. A renowned Taiwanese businessman is donating $100 million toward Taiwan's defense. He's urging the island's people to unite and, quote, see through the evil nature of the Chinese Communist Party. Robert Tsao is the founder of the world's second-largest contract microchip maker, UMC. It's based in Taiwan. Today, I announced that I will donate $3 billion NT, about $100 million U.S., to help strengthen national defense. And I hope to awaken the people of Taiwan not to be greedy for money and not to be afraid of death. I am not interested in political elections, but simply hate the lies and violence of the Chinese Communist Party and hope that Chinese speakers will have a piece of pure land and a blue sky in Taiwan. Cao said that in the face of the Chinese Communist Party's threats, some people in Taiwan have developed a surrenderist mentality. Those who refuse to resist China and protect Taiwan are either ignorant, cowardly and weak or have been bought by the Chinese Communist Party. The People's Republic of China is a triad organization masquerading as a state. Cao called on Taiwanese people not to cast their ballots for pro-Beijing candidates in the upcoming local elections. Concerns are growing over Taiwan. China just held its largest ever military exercises near the island as a reaction to a visit by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. But a senior Pentagon official describes the move as a manufactured crisis. Clearly, uh, the PRC is trying to coerce Taiwan. Clearly, they're trying to coerce uh, the international uh, community. And all I'll say is, um, we're not going to take the bait, and it's not going to work. So it's a manufactured crisis. That, That doesn't mean we have to play into that. What we'll do instead is to continue to fly, to sail, and to operate uh, wherever international law allows us to do so, and that includes in the Taiwan Strait, and we will continue to stand by our allies and partners uh, in, in the region. Washington is under the impression that China will not try to take Taiwan for at least two years. Kyle said they're not changing that assessment. Pelosi's trip to Taiwan this month angered the Chinese regime. They responded by test-firing ballistic missiles over Taipei for the first time. Beijing also dropped its dialogue with Washington in several areas. 
The Chinese military appears to be developing the capability to seize Taiwan by force, but many officials maintain that China won't be militarily ready for an invasion until 2027. A new COVID-19 outbreak is popping up in China's Hainan province. That's a tourist island close to the South China Sea. As of this week, authorities have put at least nine cities under strict lockdown measures. China's state media dubbed the outbreak the worst in two years. Since its start on August 1st, more than 1,500 cases have been confirmed in the province. COVID-19 tests are mandated for the area's more than 10 million residents and tourists. Currently, more than 80,000 visitors and six professional soccer teams remain stranded in the area. Under the Chinese Communist Party's zero-COVID policy, visitors can leave the island after returning five negative tests taken within seven days. But more changes came after the lockdown announcement. Commercial flights are shut down between the island and mainland China. Visitors even reported being forced off a plane after successfully boarding with all the necessary negative test results. Many are now forced to grapple with expensive hotel costs for their longer-than-expected stays. In China, 35 people have been reported as infected by the new Hennepa virus. Experts say the infection is potentially deadly and is known to spread from animals to humans. While the Chinese Communist Party virus, which causes COVID-19, is still putting some Chinese cities under lockdown, a new virus has been detected in the country. Chinese media reports say at least 35 people in two provinces in northern China have been infected. The new virus is called the Langya Hennepa virus. Patients sickened with it often come down with flu-like symptoms, including cough, fever and weakness. A report on the infection cited both Chinese and Singaporean scientists. Their research on the outbreak was printed by the New England Journal of Medicine, one of the most renowned medical publications. It's been discovered that the virus can be transmitted from animals to humans, though no human-to-human transmission has been found so far. What's more, experts believe the infection is lethal, but no deaths have been reported. The fatality rate remains unknown. It's reportedly similar to the Nipah virus, which comes with a fatality rate as high as 40 percent. Shrews have been named the infection's most likely carriers, with dogs and goats following behind. Just ahead in Austria, Vienna's oldest bakery is struggling to cope with rising prices of wheat and butter on top of severe staff shortages and inflation at its highest level since 1975. And the high costs of fertilizer and fuel, combined with lower prices for milk, threaten the dairy industry in northeast Australia, making many dairy farmers contemplate their future. We'll have all that and more for you in just a minute. A Lebanese buyer is not accepting corn coming from Ukraine. The buyer cites a more than five-month delay in delivery. The corn is aboard the first ship to depart Ukraine under a UN-brokered deal. Now the ship is looking to unload at a different port in Lebanon or even a different country. The United Nations and Turkey brokered the agreement last month to continue grain shipments from Ukraine amid the Russian invasion. They warned that stopping grain shipments from Ukraine could lead to severe food shortages and even outbreaks of famine in parts of the world. So far, seven ships filled with corn have been exported from Ukraine since the first departure on August 1st. 
A Russian rocket carrying an Iranian satellite successfully launches into space as Moscow and Tehran seek to build closer ties in the face of Western sanctions. The remote sensing satellite was launched by a Russian Soyuz rocket from Russia's space launch base in southern Kazakhstan. Tehran says Iran will have full control and operation over it from day one, countering claims that the satellite could be used by Moscow to boost its intelligence capabilities in Ukraine. The Washington Post reported last week that U.S. officials are concerned by the fledging space cooperation between Russia and Iran. They fear that the satellite will not only help Russia and Ukraine, but also provide Iran unprecedented capabilities to monitor targets. Iran says the satellite is designed for scientific research, including radiation and environmental monitoring for agricultural purposes. Rising food and fuel prices are hitting businesses across Europe, and Austria, Vienna's oldest bakery, is struggling to cope with rising prices of wheat and butter, as well as severe staff shortages. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. The Moderna family has owned Arthur Grimm Bakery since the 1960s, but it's been around since the 16th century. With inflation at its highest level since 1975, things aren't easy for baker Andreas Moderna. At the moment, we are in a situation where if I calculate a price today, it will be out of date next week because I must get 10 emails from suppliers a week forecasting a price increase. According to Statistics Austria, the country's inflation rate surged to 8.7 percent in June. The rising cost of living is now a second crisis for small businesses because they were already hit very hard during the corona crisis. Price increases in raw materials and high energy costs have also hit businesses hard. Every single trader is faced with the same problem. How can he explain to his customers that prices have gone up because wheat has become expensive, so flour has become more expensive, and above all, energy has become very, very expensive, and small businesses don't have the possibility to absorb that. Adding to Moderna's problems is a staff shortage. He says he cannot find enough people to sell his bread. What worries me the most is the lack of staff, of course. The inflation, I think, or I hope, is just a fad. The labor shortage is an issue across the country. We are already seeing the shortage of labor, especially in areas where wages are not very high. Companies are finding it very difficult to find well-qualified workers. As people try to adjust to the rising prices, many have also changed their shopping habits. That I really do shop more consciously and make sure that I don't spend the money on things that I don't really need. And bread may soon be out of reach. I have decided that now I really, perhaps I shouldn't even say this, will no longer buy bread at normal prices. Austrians may have to get creative with their budgets if they want to keep eating baked goods. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. In northeast Australia, the dairy industry is under threat. High costs of fertilizer and fuel combined with lower milk prices are forcing some dairy farmers to contemplate their future. It's an early cold start on the Kennedy family farm on the northeast coast of Australia. You get up at 3.34 and then we go all day um, and really don't have many days off. I've had about 38 days off in eight years. 
Sarah Kennedy's handprints were cemented into the dairy floor as a child. Now she's raising the herd, but the family operation is weighing whether to shut down. There's a point you do have to reach where you can be working too hard for no real gain. Over the past two decades, the number of dairy farms in Queensland has shrunk from 1,500 to fewer than 300, and the decline is accelerating. In the past five weeks alone, livestock auctioneer John Cochrane has sold stock from another six dairy farms that have closed. The number of farmers, the volumes of milk, everything is falling. Unless there's some real major changes, it will continue to go. Last year, just 53% of the milk sold in Queensland was produced in the state. Farmers say milk prices aren't keeping up with rising production costs. Fuel, fertilizer, sprays, the big one is labor. Now it's up to farmers to work out if the money is enough to continue braving the cool mornings. The incentives to sell are tempting. There's two things that are happening now, land prices have escalated and price of cattle. It's a tough decision for families like the Kennedys. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Switzerland is set to open a new giant hydroelectric power plant. It can store enough electricity to charge 400,000 car batteries at the same time. The plant is one of the most powerful pumped storage plants in Europe. It will cost more than $2 billion and took 14 years to construct. Developers say the facility operates like a giant battery. Its six turbines are hidden in caverns about 2,000 feet underground in the reservoir. The amount of water passing through per second is equivalent to summertime flow of the Rhone River through Geneva. During peak demands, the plant will generate electricity from hydropower. When output from wind or solar exceeds demand, water will be pumped into a higher reservoir to store power. Energy stored at the facility can reach up to 20 gigawatt hours. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, French salt farmers are coming out ahead while a heat wave and drought hurt other industries. The nonstop sunshine and light winds have turbocharged salt production. And gelato makers in Italy are also thriving. Tourists are flocking back to the country after the pandemic and high temperatures increase demand for the sweet treat. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. Good to have you back. Scorching temperatures and drought have baked the French countryside in recent weeks, but one group has seen a surprising victory amid the conditions, Garon salt farmers. The blistering heat waves that have hit France have produced a reluctant winner. Salt farmers in the northwestern Garonde area have seen production soar. The region makes the so-called white gold of the salt trade, which sells in the U.S. at more than $100 a kilo. Francois Durand is a salt farmer. We're heading towards record production. At the moment, we're looking at over 2.5 tonnes for each pan, while the average of the last 10 years has been 1.3 tonnes. Garand usually sees variable Atlantic weather, but this year it has experienced more than 40 days of almost non-stop sunshine and light winds. That has turbocharged the evaporation process, which produces the salt. It means little rest for those who work the salt flats. The workers wheel barrows along narrow mud walls and scrape sea salt from the bottom of the flats. 
using techniques that have changed little over four centuries. Audrey Lawyer is a salt worker. The salt workers are tired. I think it's been more than 40 days without a break. There hasn't been enough rain on the flats to justify a break. Several salt farmers told Reuters they now had reserves to cover the next couple of years. But while they have seen short-term benefits to the heatwave, other parts of France have dealt with wildfires and water shortages. France's salt farmers take little pleasure in being one of the few winners from a scorching summer. Now over to Italy, Matera, the location of the 2019 James Bond film No Time to Die, saw a dramatic real-life rescue scene on Monday after a hiker was injured. A firefighter helicopter rescued a man who was injured while hiking near the banks of the Gravina River on the outskirts of Matera. The ancient city evokes early Christian and even prehistoric times. The rescue was carried out with the stunning backdrop of the city's limestone cave dwellings. They're dug into the hillside and cascade down a steep slope towards the river. The hiker was successfully transferred to a hospital with a leg fracture. Gelato makers in Italy are celebrating as tourists flock back to the country and temperatures remain high. Artisan gelato producers are recovering from the pandemic when they say demand slumped 20%. The history of gelato is recorded here at the Carpigiani Gelato University in Bologna. Back in 1946, the Carpigiani plant began its life making the machinery to make gelato. Its director general, Kaiori Ito, explains the importance of the product in Italy. Yes, so, well, speaking of the Italian market, uh, considering that there are approximately 100,000 artisan gelato shops in the world, uh, over one-third of the market is in Italy. So we're thinking, uh, we're talking about over 30,000 artisan gelato shops here in Italy. In Pisa, temperatures are soaring. Tourists savor their gelato as they pose with the tower. At the nationally renowned Gelateria dei Coltelli, gelato master Gianfrancesco Cutelli is busy. His flavors range from the traditional, like chocolate, to more complex and exotic recipes like almond with candied lemon peel and saffron. Cutelli is optimistic about the future of the business. After this long period of the pandemic, we have started up again thanks to the heat wave. Work is going very well. We had and are having some problems finding the raw materials which have had a huge rise in costs. But consumption is up. Lots of clients, many tourists, so we are very pleased. Bologna is the home of tortellini and lasagna, but gelato is also an institution here. The Gelato University was launched in 2003 at the Carpigiani site to teach the traditional craft of making gelato. Teacher Alessandra Messia explains the key to making an excellent gelato. Making experiments is one of the key points of our job. So we have to be curious. We know how to balance the recipe. We know how to combine together the ingredients. His students come from all over the world. They take classes in the morning and then create their own recipes in the afternoon. Student Omar Hazem from Egypt says he's happy with his creation. So as you can see, the consistency of the, of the gelato. It's a really good gelato. As the summer's scorching temperatures continue, gelato is sure to provide sweet relief for many. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
In sports news, Serena Williams suggests that she could soon make a big career decision after a reporter asks her what keeps her going in tennis at this stage in her career. Um, I don't know. I guess there's just a light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) What is that like? I don't know. I'm getting closer to the light. So that's... (laughs) Yeah, so that's like, lately that's been... That's been it for me. I can't wait to get to that light. Williams is competing at the Toronto Open. It's only her second tournament after a year-long absence. The 40-year-old is a 23-time Grand Slam champion. Williams described her retirement plans in Vogue magazine as evolving away from tennis. She also talked in an Instagram post about the time to move in a different direction. Williams just won a first-round victory over a Spanish player. The match saw the two women exchange blasts from the baseline in sweltering conditions on a hot and humid center court. It's Williams' first win since the 2021 French Open. She is still on the list to compete in Cincinnati next week, as well as at the U.S. Open later this month. If you want to keep your energy up between meals, snacking is a must, but it has to be done right if you want to stay lean and healthy. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Everyone snacks. It's even easy to argue that people need a little nibble between meals. It's the perfect way to keep the energy up, fill in nutritional holes and manage blood sugar. But snacking gets a bad rep. Why? Generally, most people think of a snack as junk food. Don't get me wrong, there's room for the occasional treat, but these aren't the kinds of snacks you want to be choosing. Healthy snacks are tasty, versatile, and easy to eat on the go. Texture is a big part of snacking, so here are some healthy foods that offer some crunch. Carrots and celery, apples and pears, bell pepper slices, roasted chickpeas, zucchini or cucumber slices, popcorn, rice cakes and nuts and seeds. You want to wash it all down with a filling drink. Get rid of high sugar sodas and energy drinks and try replacing them with plain or sparkling water. You can add fruits and herbs for more interest. Milk, unsweetened tea or coffee, a small glass of 100% fruit juice or low sodium tomato or mixed vegetable juice. You also want to focus on satiating snacks. Here are some options that can help to fill you up. Whole grain toast topped with peanut butter or almond butter, cherry tomatoes with hummus, low fat cheese, plain full fat yogurt, you can add fruits, nuts, nut butters and seeds for interest, or a fruit and veggie smoothie. And finally, you want snacks that can satisfy a sweet tooth. Think about baked apple, raisins, dates, figs, and other unsweetened dried fruits, frozen grapes, fresh fruit salad, and watermelon. You can play around with these ideas and combine flavors and textures too. There are a lot more heart-healthy snack options than what's listed here, so head to the library and read a few books on healthy snacking. Today in movie news, a special promotion is happening for the biggest film of the year. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. I just want to manage expectations. Paramount is thanking Top Gun Maverick fans for making the film such a hit and hopes to bring out even more moviegoers. Before screenings this weekend, some theaters will show a behind-the-scenes look at filming aboard the USS Roosevelt. And Friday, ticket holders will receive a Top Gun Maverick collector's print while supplies last. Check your local listings for participating theaters. 
Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.